This is episode 22 with Canberra Raiders legend, Bradley Clyde. TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. Our special guest today is Bradley Clyde. Brad, one of the absolute legends of rugby league, playing across the Canberra Raiders, Canterbury Bulldogs, and also briefly in his final season with the Leeds Rhinos. But he's one of my favorite players. Definitely, you know, when you put down, he's probably one of the greatest locks of all time, if not the greatest lock of all time, when you see what he achieved through his career. You know, he was destined for superstardom from the start. He was a three-time Australian schoolboy. He came through, I think he made his you know, NRL, ARL debut at the time at something like 18 years of age. And he was playing in comps, playing for New South Wales, Australia at 19 years of age. And he was pretty much the only player to ever win two Clive Churchill medals. He's done that in 1989 and 1991. So a tremendous player. Before we get Brad on the show, just a big shout out saying thank you to everyone that's subscribed to the show, has been checking it out, and also leaving me the messages on social media or sharing the post with their family or friends. I really appreciate it. If you haven't yet, please subscribe and also leave me a five-star review on iTunes. That really helps me grow the show. I get to I get seen more in things like iTunes and things like that. So it just reaches more people. So if you have if you haven't yet, please log on to your podcast or your iTunes app, all you got to do is just search Talking With TK, and then you'll have a little section there where you can leave me a review. But let's get to today's show. I introduce Bradley Clyde. Special guest is Bradley Clyde. Brad is a legend of rugby league, playing 227 senior games for the Canberra Raiders, Canterbury Bulldogs, and Leeds Rhinos. He's had a distinguished representative career for New South Wales and Australia, and was named Clive Churchill medalist twice in 1989 and 1991, and also Proven Summons medal in 1994. Welcome to legend, Bradley Clyde. Brad, welcome to the show, mate. Tristan, thank you for a kind introduction. Thank you, yes, yeah, and uh, to be on your program. No, absolutely. It's been an absolute, uh, well, it's been one of my bucket list things to have a chat with you, mate, so thank you for your time. Let's start in the present, mate, because, you know, after your distinguished career, you know, you've done quite well also in the corporate world. So in terms of your goals now and your challenges, what would that be? So going back, when I stepped away from football, I, um, I knew I had to adapt to the a new environment, and um, I, I think that's a key 
bit of advice for, for any of the athletes sort of stepping away out of one environment into another. You need to adapt. And, and so um, I, I need to get a, a degree under my belt. So I uh, studied and um, ended, uh, so I studied business and ended up in sales and marketing for a company called Programmed uh, post a, um, a management seven years in management for the Bulldogs. Mm. Um, but um, when I finished, so that was, uh, it was an interesting learning every single day and uh, had a great time doing that. But uh, with the sales and marketing, um, and, and uh, taking right through to, to business today, um, those uh, key characteristics of discipline and, and uh, making sure you've got plenty of energy each day turning up and, and shoulder to the wheel um, working in any team environment I think is critical and um, uh, so I am now the general manager of a tech company uh, called Chandler. We deliver a lot of communications uh, specialising in customer engagement so it's um, it has been quite a, a journey and um, I think um, day by day if you're uh, willing to, to learn and um, and really have a crack, uh, I, I think you know, the world's your oyster. You can really go places if you've got some energy, um, willing to learn an element of intelligence and um, enjoy what you're doing. Yeah, Brad, you went into the football office, the front office, straight up after footy. You know, you, you, like you mentioned, you were there for like seven or eight years. So did you intentionally, once you left there, did you intentionally do that so you could kind of forge a career away from footy? I did, yeah. So I, um, I stepped into the, the Bulldogs role and, and really enjoyed it. Um, and due to a, a change of coach along with um, uh, his senior staff, it was, um, I, I found myself needing to upskill myself and, and go and do other things. Um, I'd always pictured myself to be in rugby league, um, but um, I had the luxury of uh, a degree by the time I did step away, and uh, I think that it was critical with my transition away from, um, albeit football, in a management role. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that, you know, when you guys were all down at Canberra, when you have a look at everyone that's come out of that club, you know, in terms of, like, there's been a number of coaches and senior, senior, but you can also describe yourself because in your role as a senior management, that, that is very, very similar as well. So I was going to ask you, what happens down at Canberra to produce all these people in either a senior management role or in, in a coaching role in rugby league? along with all the representative coaches and uh, there's quite a uh, flavour of former Canberra Raiders and it um, I think essentially Tim Sheens and before that Wayne Bennett instilled a really healthy culture of learning and um, it wasn't just learning, it was innovation and to, to be the best there has to be uh, a strong respect for innovation. Um, you can adopt best practices until the cows come home, and best practices can get you, if you do them really well, can get you into a semi-final. Or, but um, to be the best, you have to bring something new to the game, and um, Kim Sheen's managed to be able to do that to most training sessions. He 
love the thought of the Raiders innovating the game and um, uh, and he did that with a great deal of success. I think we were the first ones to adopt a, a, a defensive system. I think we were the first yeah. ones to um, certainly move the ball in, in bad field position. Um, so on our own line, you know, there was um, a number of key pieces that Tim Sheens introduced to the Raiders and uh, and the game that um, I think is probably testimony to his approach around innovation. Yeah, well, you talk about innovation, and let's just stick to your game because from my memory, because I started watching footy in the late, late 80s, and for myself, you were the first sort of player especially a second rower, to hit that edge, but at the same time be able to defend in the middle and really take it up the guts as well. Is that something that you learn under Tim? Um, it, it, not really. So I, I enjoyed the lock roll because traditionally, and um, I remember my father speaking to me when I was younger, a wonderful role model for me, but um, my dad, but also he, he flagged to me one of the great locks was Johnny Raper, and, yep. and Johnny Raper played a roving role, um, and he could uh, play lock as well as uh, play in the forwards, and um, so I made a decision early in the piece that that was going to be the position for me, because you could, um, just the, the variation of play, you, you could play tough, but also you could um, run wide if you're fast enough, and I wasn't, I just uh, managed to pretty fast, do, uh, lag off the, the likes of uh, Meninga and uh, well, Peter Jackson for a while, there's uh, Laurie Daly and, and Ricky Stewart, so they made me look good, so it was, um, um, yeah, it was a, a, a really good time to be a, a, a part of that team. Yeah, just on reflection now, have you actually had a chance to, you know, sit down with your loved ones and just really just have a look at everything that you achieved in the game? I um, I, I do, yeah. And um, sometimes I look at the game and I go, did I really play that? Because there are some games where are really brutal. Uh, yeah. uh, a lot of physical contact. And I haven't been a part of that environment for some time. And uh, I, I, um, you know, the, I think the game has taken a quantum leap since I retired 15 years ago, but um, at the same time, a, a lot of the fundamentals are still there. You, when you've got the ball, you run hard. When you haven't, you've got to tackle hard. And, yeah. uh, um, and and the team with the most points at the end of each game is considered the winner. So it's, um, it's a very basic game. I think probably complicated too much by the coaches, uh, but um, that's just my opinion. Brad, you know, from a young age, you know, you appeared to be destined to be, you know, a rugby league great. You know, you went to Hawker College. You were three years Australian schoolboy, correct? Uh, yeah, so uh, I made a decision. Uh, I was about 13 or 14 to step away from AFL. I was doing both for a long time. And then uh, I was, uh, and, and that was purely because I enjoyed rugby league more, but um, I, um, then at about 14, 15, I made the decision to really try and apply myself to rugby league and, and play at the very highest level. So um, it was a, a pretty young age to make that decision, looking back now. And um, 
I started doing weights and trying to get my body physically right for that. I was a pretty skinny, lanky uh, kid. And, and, and so I, I started preparing my body in terms of doing some weights and, and uh, some sprint training. And look, I, I, um, I was lucky enough to step into a Raiders team early in the piece that uh, had a, a really strong core of senior players to mentor me. And um, along with Wayne Bennett at the time, but it was the, the players of Belcher and uh, Meninga, Dean Lance, Ashley Gilbert, some of those old heads, Craig Bellamy was there. It was, uh, I learned so much from those guys that uh, they wouldn't know it, but I was watching the way that they talked and walked and, and ate and slept. You know, it was, yeah, it was um, all those key little things that make the big picture. Yeah, so you made your debut in 1988. You know, you win a, a premiership literally in your second year and you, you're Clive Churchill medalist. Was it a bit surreal at the time? It sure was, yes, yes. So I look at 1989, it was absolute whirlwind. I was winning the competition, but um, months before that, I, I represented Australia. And for me, it was hugely patriotic uh, to pull on that green and gold jersey um, and, and and before that, to pull on the state jerseys. <laughs> it was yeah. uh, uh, just a, a really special time. Um, and from then, I had to stay there. And, and um, it was relatively easy to find the enthusiasm because I was so young. And um, I genuinely loved the game. Uh, I loved playing. And I, I loved every part of it. And just uh, just uh, threw myself at every element, and um, here I was playing alongside guys that I had. I was asking to get my footy card signed yeah. um, twelve months before. You know, it was a, a real <laughs> magic carpet ride for me. With all the success, Brad, who was the person that kept you grounded through the whole thing? I definitely my parents. Mm. Um, they're good country people that um, haven't deviated one iota from being honest and, and working hard and uh, so those elements I, I can really relate to now and, um, and and lay at their feet for most of my success. Mm. Let's, let's go back to 1989 because that grand final is one of the best of all time. You know, it was the virtually the victory that, you know, looked like you guys were never going to win. When Benny Elias kicked that, tried to kick that field goal and it hit the the post, was that the changing point? Well, there were so many, wasn't there? I, I, I look at approaching that game and it was... The Raiders weren't meant to be there, let alone win that game. So we had to win, I think, nine in a row to win the grand final. Um, we, were the, we would have been the, the first team the, to win that wasn't from from Sydney. Um, so we were the first uh, non-Sydney team to, to win the, the competition. Um, and we were the first team to win from fourth position. So a combination of those things it, it was extraordinary for us to even be there, considering uh, we're up against the Balmain Tigers who were completely star-studded. They yeah. had a, a wonderful lineup, and um, uh, from the year before, unlucky to, to lose and you know, they were desperate for a grand final win. Um, and at half, right up till sort of half time, it was understandably they were going to win their first grand final. And, um, in terms of momentum shift, I think um, towards late in that first half, 
even before Chica had um, uh, had scored, and, and you're right, it was around that time where uh, Benny Elias attempted the field goal, mm. along with Mal's ankle tap to um, uh, Mick O'Neill. Yeah. Um, uh, Mick Neal. And Mick Neal, yeah. Was, uh, so as soon as we crossed over at, at uh, full time to engage into the extra time, I knew that I, f- I felt that the momentum was certainly with us. I, I, I felt as though it's ours to lose. Yeah, and then when did you know it was going to be sealed? Was that when Steve Jackson went over? Oh, the greatest try I've ever seen. How good was you it? Know, for, for me, it was um, it, it was just a, a moment where uh, all the hard work and all the preparation and it just um, was confirmed that we were going to win. Of course, we were one point ahead at that stage through a Chris O'Sullivan field goal, but um, Steve Jackson... Plonks the ball over the try line, uh, carrying four or five Balmain players within. You know, just a, a wonderful try and um, a wonderful moment in time where you just go, it was the perfect day. Yeah. Is, is that the year they dropped the trophy? It was. It, was, um, it wasn't that day. It was the following day where we were going through the streets of Canberra, a cavalcade on the back of uh, <laughs> some utes, and um, I... It was a, a knock-on. Uh, we managed to break Arthur Summons' arm on the the Proven Summons <laughs> Winfield Cup trophy. So <laughs> that in itself was a moment. Yeah, definitely. Brad, what did you used to do? Like, for example, you're only, you, what, you're 18, 19 years old for that first grand final. I remember a few weeks ago, I remember Mark Geyer just talking about what they did the first time they got, they played you in 1990. And apparently Phil Gould caught them all on the drink the night before the game. So what did, what did you guys do? Um, to, to, sorry, to, to celebrate or to? No, before. Just, no. they were talking about before. Oh, before. Yeah. yeah, so the, the night before? Yeah, the night before. Yeah, so um, we ate as a team. It was pretty much the lead that whole week. Um, we had to attend the grand final breakfast, which had been introduced at that stage. And um, from then on, we stayed in Sydney. We stayed at the Sydney Camperdown Travel Lodge. And um, we um, just, just did everything together. Um, the night before, I'm pretty sure... We just went and watched a movie as a group, um, just a, a, a lots of planned activities. There was nothing too um, uh, strenuous, or uh, the, it was all organised and, um, and and very structured. Mm. The year after, Brad, you know, how'd you handle it mentally? Because you got injured just before the finals, and it ended up costing you a grand final win, and then also the Kangaroo Tour. Did you struggle mentally for a little while? In 1990, yeah, I, it, it was a challenge for me. It was um, really sad to miss the grand final, then the Kangaroo Tour, which is a, a double blow. Um, but I, I looked at you know, my controllables. What I can control is to make sure that I have the operation and um, challenge myself to, to get back and be strong and be better than what I was. So it, um, I started out day by day with a, a goal to um, be better than the, the, the previous day. So it was, um, uh, being so young, I 
Um, I, I hadn't, it was an experience, it was a low that I wasn't familiar with because I'd experienced so many highs, but in, in, I, I knew it wasn't going to be my lasting trip because I, I wanted to fulfill my dreams of being a, a full-time rugby league player. I knew it was going to be the last. So I, um, it was just a, I had to take it into my stride and absorb it, but um, it was key to come out of it stronger. In 93, Brad, like I spoke to one of my best mates and he's a huge Raiders supporter and he reckons out of all the years he's watched that your best team was actually in 1993 when unfortunately Ricky Stewart got injured in the last game of the year. When he got injured, how much did that, like obviously it was going to always derail your season, but as soon as you knew the news, how did that make you feel? Yeah, it was a very, it was a key part of our team. I think he won the Delian Player of the Year. That year. he was on fire, um, and uh, in terms of providing direction for the Canberra Raiders, he was instrumental. It was um, uh, Mel was a, a, a wonderful leader of the team. And yeah. Ricky, in, in terms of providing direct on-field direction, just incredible. So. I know I used to just um, pretty much leave my brain at the sideline and he would narrate the play and I'd just listen to Ricky. Um, uh, sort of provide direction for the whole team and uh, play by play. You know, often it'd be three or four plays in advance and um, you knew exactly what you do had to do and um, life is so much easier when you have a halfback or a, a key playmaker being able to do that is a real luxury. Uh, we had a bit of a um, an agreement in place. Ricky would um, do that for me, and um, I'd have to do all of his tackling. <laughs> <laughs> Made sense, mate. I think you covered him quite. Guys, we hope you're enjoying the episode with Bradley Clyde. If you haven't yet, our last episode was with Andrew Eddinghausen, and here's a little snippet from the interview with ET. Hanging very, around. Very, very talented player. Um, you know, he was uh, really pushing hard as the state of origin. He's Paul Green's a very um, successful person, but he's he's also a very driven person. And uh, you know, when it, whatever he's involved in, he's going to take it as far as he possibly can. He's smart enough to be able to do it. And uh, you know, as far as um, talent goes, he had enormous talent as well. So. You know, for anyone, any successful people, you've got to have a lot of drive and a lot of desire and you've really got to uh, be willing to put everything into your preparation to get there. And Greeny was just like that. He, um, you know, his first year he came on, I think he won the Rothmans medal. He he just was one of those players who, uh, you know, was a great team man as well, got on with everybody, great friends with everybody, and I'm still a great friend of his now. So, you know, he's, uh, he lives a long way away up in Townsville, but... Um, you know, I was certainly on the phone to him after his grand final win, telling him how, how amazing it was, and and he said, yeah, he wished he wished we could have done it together back in our day. So, you know, he um, he's a good friend and, and just a very talented talented guy. Uh, I, I hung around him a lot, and all those players who could do something special, I was uh, I was certainly um, yeah, I'd, I'd be uh, I'd form as, as close a bond as I possibly could in the team and uh, and utilise their skills and make it utilise. So check that episode out and also go through the backlog of other episodes. If you're onto your footy, we've also had Paul Chief Harrigan on, 
Carmichael Hunt or you know other guys like David Campese who's in Union or also Nathan Sharp plenty of sports people from Michael Klim Kieran Perkins Robbie Madison so plenty there for you guys to check out if you haven't yet please subscribe via iTunes and you can also check it out our website is www.talkingwithtk.com but for now let's get back to the show do you think as a team that was the biggest strength? Of, you know, we spoke about before so many coaches coming out of the Raiders. You know, the ability for you or you guys to read a game and be able to give directions to your teammates. Do you think that was your point of difference? Yeah, I, I think um, being down in Canberra uh, during that time, there was, it was such a uh, there were so many good players completely engaged in. And, and with a, a, a real passion and love for the game, so and, and that passion and love was just genuine. So it was, um, and when that happens, you've got uh, an environment where everyone is trying, is learning and growing and, um, uh, on a daily basis. I, I think that's not too different. The the culture at Melbourne at the moment, I think Craig Bellamy is drawn from his Raiders experience yeah. um, time and time again to, to develop something something similar down there and um, you know, they're, they're, Melbourne along with Canberra uh, were faced geographical issues around does, you know, who would want to play down in Melbourne um, can we attract quality players down there the weather isn't that great there's a whole heap of excuses if your team is, is playing well, you've got a, a coach that people want to play for, a club with a, a, a healthy culture, you won't have any problems in attracting players. Um, and uh, um, so you can be strong for, for, for 10 or so years or you know, because you've got um, a, a healthy culture and um, the healthy culture is driven from the, the leaders within that club. Yeah. Brad, one player I wanted to ask you about was Noah Najuku because, you know, for all the high-profile players in Canberra during the 90s, you know, I don't think he gets enough accolades for his try-scoring ability and his, his ability on the field. When he turned up from Fiji, what was your first impression of Noah? Well, he had a really healthy reputation before he came to the Raiders um, as a, a, a try-scoring wizard and... Um, I think we played against him in a sevens tournament previously, and um, he was just rock solid. Uh, he was a, a, a wonderful finisher. So I think it was his second game. We played Manly at Brookvale, and he scored a try from our own 22 line. And wow, he just went through a number of players and then just put on the afterburners and. Um, um, and that was the start of many tries. So I always consider a, a bit of a luxury because we had um, Mullows in the team as yeah. well. And, uh, and before that was Gary Belcher and Chicker and Chicker. Uh, Kenny Nagus. Yeah, Kenny Nagus. <laughs> the list goes on. So the amount of times that I would sit uh, or be standing on the other side of halfway watching these guys finish is an absolute luxury. Um, the more of those guys you've got in your team, the better. Yeah, did that kind of boost you to kind of take the next hit up? I will uh, hope that. Once you go past halfway. 
Yeah, well, yeah, once those guys uh, touch the ball, um, you know, often it'd be try time, so you'd just, um, you'd be standing there in awe. And um, so, yeah, so often <laughs> uh, you'd be recharged, ready to go, and, and looking forward to the next forward battle. Brad, I just want to take you to Kangaroo Tours now. So 1994, unfortunately, Sean Edwards, you know, knocked you out in that first test at Wembley. Did did Sean ever apologise? He did, yes. Um, and look, I, I, um, I, I was about to score, to tell you the truth. It, it, um, a, a big game, and I, I just didn't agree with what he did. Um and um, so it was in 1997. I was at um, I was in London uh, at a bar. Um, we we played in the the club challenge there at the Stoop, which yeah. is. Um, and um, he came and bought me a beer and said hello, and um, and then sort of walked away and uh, as some sort of apology gesture. And you know, I, I I thought it was. Nice. Uh, here we are. We both washed up to crepid old former footy players by that stage. But at the time, I certainly didn't agree with um, what he'd done. Yeah. How long did it take you to recover from it? I I, I played the following weekend because uh, we had a the second test to play and then the third, and um, we didn't make the same mistake as in the first test. Yeah, I'm sure that. You wouldn't have went uh, to the HIA, and uh, I'm hearing that uh, HIA test is pretty hard. Yes, yeah, that's right. It's, um, <laughs> it's, um, I've heard the same. And, uh, yeah, so I'm glad that wasn't back in, in play back then. Mate, I've seen the test, and I don't think <clears throat> I could pass it not being knocked out. <laughs> yes, that's right. One of the questions on there, they ask you to list all the months in reverse, and I was struggling. I'm going, what is going on? <laughs> it's an interesting question. Hey, Brad, 90, 95, 96, obviously the Super League war all erupted. Where were you when you first heard about this Super League? Yeah, so Super League, um, we as a team, the Canberra Raiders signed Super League contracts back on April Fool's Day in 1995. <laughs> we were up in well, to play North Queensland the following day. We got up there on the Friday. I think we had to play on the Saturday. And um, we yeah, were approached by News Limited. And um, that was the first I, I heard of it. And it was a, a really interesting time. You know, there was uh, our players running around with texts. And it was... Um, I'm looking back, I, I, I look at um, the. It, it wasn't a positive impact on the game. Yeah. Um, I, I think that uh, certainly things should have been handled a little bit differently uh, to get the best outcome. Mm. Was it was it literally like winning lotto, really? Because all your contracts just went up dramatically, correct? Well, I sure did. I think most players received a, an increase in pay. I, I know I did. And, um, it was an absolute luxury that the, the, the players at the time, I didn't realise that we were just the pawns in a game for pay TV between uh, Op- Optus and uh, um, and Telstra. Yeah. Um, 
And, um, yeah, it, um, oh, sorry, Optus and, uh, and Foxtel, Foxtel yeah. were uh, the key stakeholders, yes, um, slash News Limited. And, yeah. um, so we, uh, no matter what side of the fence, most of the players benefited. And uh, uh, I think that, um, in hindsight, I don't know whether there'd be too many of us make the same decision or you know, that it would um, uh, it, it, it did catapult the game into a, a professional fully professional realm but um, at the same time the impact was enormous and uh, wasn't necessarily positive yeah in 95 they obviously locked you guys out of playing rep footy how much did that hurt yeah well you'd spent your whole life establishing yourself and your career has been someone that really loved playing rep footy and um, it, it did hurt. It, um, I didn't see why that uh, we were eliminated by that, but um, at the same time, we it, uh, uh, had to, we'd made a decision and had to live with that and um, um, so be it. Yeah. All right, just to wrap things up, Brad, I've got a few personality ones just to wrap wrap it up. The first one sure. is, is did you have any superstitions before a game? Well, I pretty much wore the same briefs for each season, so it was always a pair of swimmers, a pair of sluggos, yeah. um, <laughs> and I'd always wear a pair of undersocks, so those undersocks were always a, uh, a pair of, say, tennis socks. And, uh, yeah, so there was a, I was quite superstitious and uh, tried to follow a similar routine for most games. All right, so your home ground was obviously Bruce Stadium. Uh, apart from Bruce Stadium, did you have a favourite venue? Uh, I always, I, I like playing at Lang Park um, and also Newcastle. And it, the the grounds were always dry there and there was, wasn't too much due to, to play with, which meant that it was a faster uh, more open game but at the same time the crowd really coming to play there was um, both Newcastle and, and the Brisbane fans are just so into their rugby league yeah. which impacts you to um, to play your best and particularly late in each half when fatigue is a factor um, you're drawing upon pretty much anything to keep you um, uh, to keep you going and uh, if the fans are either booing or you know, if there is some uh, excitement, it's um, it, it really helps for a great atmosphere. Was it true that they used to water down the change rooms at Marathon State? <laughs> I reckon it's true, yeah. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Those showers would be turned on and there'd be water everywhere. Uh, thank God they um, upgraded those change rooms. I, I believe not much. <laughs> All right, Brad, next one, I'm going to take you to your childhood. When you were growing up, what posters did you have on your bedroom wall? Yeah, good question. I had a poster of Robert De Costello um, winning the gold medal in the Commonwealth Games. He's a and, runner, right? Um, yes, yeah, he was a, a great marathon runner for Australia and um, a really good ambassador for Australian sport. He ran the Australian Institute of Sport for some time and uh, a fellow Canberran. So... Yeah, Rob is a friend of mine, and um, 
at the time, he, he certainly was. He was someone that I aspired to being and um, had his poster up on my wall. I don't know whether I've told him that, but um, maybe I should. Yeah, maybe you should. It would be a cool little story yeah. you guys could share. A couple of beers. Good idea. I don't know whether he drinks, but um, uh, being a, a, a marathon runner, um, or a, po- a former marathon runner, he can surely have a beer with me. <laughs> sure, he could do it. Okay, final question, Brad. You're going to be hosting a private dinner party. You've got five invites. Now, only rules, no family or friends, but it can be anyone, dead or alive. Now, who do you want to invite? Okay, sure. Anyone, dead or, or alive. Um, oh, some of the, the, the world leaders, I think. Um, I, I think... Obama did a, a wonderful job. He, he can have one seat. Um, I think uh, Homer Simpson certainly be a bit of a character. Um, <laughs> dead or alive, uh, but uh, animated character. Yeah, he, he uh, counts, we'll mate. Find, we'll find a seat for him, uh, along with... Um, uh, I was asked this question once before. I found a seat for Pamela Anderson, but I, I oh, don't... Oh, she was on one I, of my I, posters. Yeah, I, I think maybe even before that, um, Michelle Pfeiffer was oh, yeah. uh, a yeah, favourite. Yeah. Yes, yes. So I'd find a seat for her, along with um, uh, some football favourites of mine. And uh, one of them is quite ill at the moment. Brett Kenny was a favourite of mine, along with Wayne Pearce. So I drew inspiration from both of those guys. And, um, um, and Paul Brett is... Ill with uh, yeah, unfortunately he's got cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got cancer, so um, um, my best wishes go out to, to Brett, but I'm, I'm sure he'll overcome anything that's thrown at him because uh, he is a fighter. Yeah, most definitely. Were, were you a Para fan when you were younger? No, I wasn't. In the early days before the Raiders come along, I was a Manly supporter. Oh, wow. Yes, yes. Uh, well, Keep that quiet that for your career. That was back in the day, and Johnny Gibbs was a favourite of mine at number seven. Well, mate, Cliffy would have probably been playing when you wanted <laughs> Then you ended up playing with him. Yes, yes. So Cliffy came along soon after uh, Rowdy Shearer, and, yeah, it was a blessing to play alongside those guys. Um, but back in the day, yeah, they had a, a great side. Uh, uh, one of the guys that uh, come onto the scene to replace Johnny Gibbs was Phil Blake, and then... Um, oh, yeah. What a- I ended up working alongside Blakey. Uh, I had a landscaping business in Canberra and Blakey come along to do a bit of, about two or three days a week with me. Because he played a couple of seasons at the Raiders too, didn't he? He did, yes, yeah. I don't know how much he enjoyed it because he used to love the surf. But um, nevertheless, we showed him Lake Burley Griffin. <laughs> His speed off the mark was un- unbelievable. It was, yeah. He was... He used to really concentrate and train hard with his speed off the mark and, and power with anything. And, um, yeah, he was a, a very talented player. Um, some great times for the Manly Seagulls. Uh, I was um, probably uh, eight, nine, ten years old when he was playing at the, at the Seagulls. Wow. Now, Brad, this is usually the part of the interview where I plug social media channels, but you're not on social media at all, are you? Uh, not really, no. You're one of the probably the only um, players that I've... With my work, with my work I, I am on uh, LinkedIn, but um, that's a, probably the only channel. Yeah, it's probably a good thing, right? You don't waste your time on silly <laughs> posts or anything like that, so you probably get a well, lot of work done. Well, I've got too much to do otherwise. Yes, yes, that's right. 
<laughs> well, Brad, I really appreciate you stopping by talking with TK. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, mate. Thank you very much for the invitation, TK. It's, um, I've really enjoyed winding back the clock. Awesome. We'll chat soon. Sounds great. Guys, we hope you enjoyed the episode with Bradley Clyde. It was a special one for me. I love Bradley since since I was a boy, so it was great to be able to chat with him and just get a few stories from you know everything from the Canberra days to his state of origin. So great episode there. Coming up next on the show, I've lined up a few interviews this week. We've got former Australian cricket coach John Buchanan coming Buchanan coming on the show. We've also got former well, 2012 former world champion surfer Joel Parkinson. Boomer's point guard Shane Heal is going to be also making an appearance, as well as Damien Fleming, former Australian cricketer Damien Fleming. So some great shows ahead. If you haven't yet, please subscribe via iTunes. And if you can and you've got a little bit of time, please log on and leave me a five-star review. If you want to get in touch with me, best way is Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com or you can find me on all the different social medias. I'm at Tristan Cannell or Tristan Cannell Fitness. Twitter, I'm TNL Fitness, Facebook, Talking With TK, or Instagram, you can find me at Tristan Nell. But until next time, I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking With TK.